Yeah, last um, couple of weeks or so, we've been talking about uh, God's knowledge, his love, and his dominion. Uh, we investigated his generous revelation to his creation, uh, especially to us who are created in his very image. Uh, we said that God makes himself known freely. Uh, Dave said uh, that fancy theological word, aseity. Uh, he's never obligated or coerced uh, to reveal himself. He does it uh, out of his freedom and generosity. Uh, then we looked at God's generous love, a love that's from everlasting to everlasting. As Psalm 136 makes plainly clear, uh, God's steadfast love endures forever. He loves as a father and he loves as a husband as well. And lastly, we talked about God's generous rule. Uh, he is the king uh, who allows us to participate in ruling his kingdom. We are his vicegerents. Uh, we're called to extend the kingdom of God in all of creation as image bearers. Uh, so the thing we're um, wrestling with now is how we respond to God's generous character. Uh, after all, we are made in his image. And so here, kind of big argument, the next three is this. Uh, we cannot properly substantially reflect God's image apart from being generous. Uh, why is that? Uh, sorry, uh, I had to go close the door real quick. Um, let me um, let me go back. <laughs> Here's the big argument that I'm trying to make in the next three lessons. It's that we cannot properly and substantially reflect God's image apart from being generous. Why? Uh, because as we've established, generosity is intrinsic to God's identity, his character. Uh, God is fundamentally generous in his character. And so how can we possibly bear his image if we ourselves aren't generous? like him. Uh, it's impossible. So that's the big thing for us to take away during these next three weeks. Uh, for us to bear God's image, we have to embody generosity with our minds, our hearts, and our strength. Uh, that's the structure I'll be using. Uh, it's based on the summary of what God requires of us. As Moses tells Israel in Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your hearts and with all of your soul and with all of your might. Uh, Jesus picks this up when he said, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Uh, this morning's lesson, I want us to reflect on what it means for us to be generous with our minds. Um, uh, and here's the, the big idea of uh, this morning. Uh, part of bearing God's image means we use our minds generously for others that God might be known. 
I'll say that again. Uh, part of bearing God's image means we use our minds generously for others that God might be known. Uh, as a preface to the next three lessons, I want you to remember that we can't ultimately separate the different aspects of the image of God, right? Our mind, our heart and strength, uh, our knowledge, love and dominion, they all go together. So divorce them. Uh, we can, however, make distinctions, uh, but we can't ultimately separate them. Uh, because as soon as we separate them, uh, the image of God within us unravels uh, and we're not uh, meant to be divided beings. Uh, so even as we focus on the mind this morning, we also have to recognize the other aspects, uh, the heart and the mind, uh, love and dominion at work within us. Um, I want to begin by looking at the nature of the human mind. Um, you probably weren't expecting some science this morning. As you know, I'm not a scientist. But here are a few scientific facts about the brain that I found on the internet. Um, the brain is not that impressive in mass. It, it's only about three pounds. Um, and every time you remember a memory or have a new thought, you create a connection in the brain. There are a hundred billion neurons or nerve cells in the brain, uh, which branch out to a hundred trillion plus trigger points. Uh, the human brain truly is an amazing organ that God has given to us. Uh, but what's so unique about the human brain or is it unique among other creatures? And so I want, I'm gonna go ahead and unmute everybody. Maybe you can interact with that. Well, compared to like animals and things like that, the human brain has actually has a conscience. Say that again. I, I said the human brain has a conscience compared to like other animals and things like that. Okay. Anybody else? <laughs> we should be on camera. We should be on camera. Who should be on camera? Was we. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My hair. Okay, go ahead and and. Hello. I'm going to go ahead and mute everybody again and continue. Okay, the human brain is one of the obvious things that separates man from all other creatures. Uh, not because of its size. There are some really big animals out there with bigger brains than us. Uh, not because of its advanced capabilities. Uh, after all, I mean, humans, well, most humans at least, are far more intelligent than dolphins, uh, gorillas, and apes, and what have you. You know, animals can't make computers and iPhones. Uh, they can't Zoom and talk to each other. Uh, so the human is unique. Uh, not because of how much more advanced it is, though, but it is unique uh, because man's brain is fashioned 
in the image of its creator. Uh, that's why it's so special. Uh, Paul says in Colossians 3 that our new self is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Uh, so because the human mind is created after the image of the creator, it is able to think through, contemplate, and wrestle with eternal things, uh, things pertaining to God's personal self-disclosure. Uh, animals uh, aren't like that. They don't wrestle with God's existence. They don't wrestle um, with his presence, right? Uh, they don't have minds that ponder the things of God. So for this reason, uh, people are not like the animals, the beasts. Uh, people are called to be seekers of truth and wisdom. Unlike the beasts or animals field that animals, uh, we aren't created either to imitate them, therefore. Uh, you know, what's funny is that animals were created first. Man was in the picture. Animals were there. Now, yet, it was man that was created in God's image. I plan to say more on this in the coming lessons. Uh, but becoming like beasts or animals is actually a curse. Uh, listen to the way the Lord cursed Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4. Uh, the Lord says, let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of times pass over him. And so becoming like animals is to go cuckoo. It's to be, it's to go insane. Uh, so contrary to our culture's popular belief, uh, man is not an animal. We are not animals. Our brains bear witness of that. We are made in the image of God, not, um, not like the animals. But it's one thing to say that we're not animals. Right? Our brains are not like theirs, that we have minds suited to reflect God. Um, but it's another thing to say that our brains are beyond limits, uh, that having superior minds than the animals means we can know everything. Uh, that's the other side, right? That's the other extreme. Uh, we can't deify the mind. Uh, it's not meant for that much information and weight. Uh, the reality is God fashioned the human mind with limitations. Uh, we can't know everything. I mean, does that sound familiar? Adam and Eve, right? The tree of uh, the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, it's the serpent's promise that they can know as God knows. Uh, Adam and Eve couldn't surrender to their creatureliness uh, they attempted to grasp for something more in a treasonous way. Uh, but God made uh, our minds with restraints. It has limits. Uh, however, it doesn't mean we are not called to pursue intellectual activities. In fact, just the opposite. Because learning is an important aspect of what it means to be human. Uh, God wants to, be, to generously reveal himself to us, and that requires um, thinking, right? Uh, but learning to live within our bounds is equally as important. Uh, we, we just can't learn everything. Uh, the moment we think we have nothing to learn is the moment we have stopped learning. And if you think about it, 
It's impossible to learn everything. We are finite creatures. How can we ever comprehend the infinite things, let alone the finite things? I, I don't know about you, but I don't even understand everything going on in my own hearts or in my own brain. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about this in a bit, uh, but this is why we need others um, around us. We need people to speak into our lives. Um, knowing everything then is strictly reserved for God. And that's actually a very good thing. We don't need to know everything to be a full human being. Uh, we're not, we're created not to know everything. Um, what we're created for is to know what God has revealed, right? We've been talking about God's general, uh, generous self-revelation to us. That's, that's um, what we're created for, to know what he reveals to us. Uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29, I'm sure you're familiar with this passage. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all uh, the words of this law. Uh, we don't have access to the secret things of the Lord. Uh, Isaiah puts it like this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I think there's a terrible tendency for those of us in the Reformed tradition uh, to elevate the mind way too much. I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong, I love our tradition. I love its emphasis, emphasis on studying and learning, especially when it comes to the Bible. But we have the tendency to think that Following Jesus is about how much information we can store in our brains. Uh, let me tell you, that's just not healthy. It's how intellectual elitists are created. Uh, you know, some of us can really be theological jerks sometimes. Uh, the thing is, there are some things we just can't fully comprehend. Uh, they remain mysterious to us. Uh, for instance, uh, Paul says in Philippians 4, we've, we covered this before, uh, he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, right there, Paul is after a kind of transcendent peace. Uh, you know, those moments where you just... You just receive God's peace without fully understanding it. When, when you have a moment of incredible loss, yet you know and trust that the Lord is for you and not against you. And, you just, and it is given to you in your heart and, and in your mind without fully understanding it. Uh, in those moments, we just can't really fathom why we have peace, but we do have peace. God gives it to us. Uh, you know, when everything in our circumstance is telling us uh, you shouldn't have peace, yet the Lord gives it to us. Or what about the Trinity? Uh, I mean, talk about a mystery, right? Uh, it doesn't mean we don't study the Trinity, but we have to learn um, and live with the fact 
that it's ultimately mysterious to us. We know everything about the Trinity. Uh, on the flip side uh, to all of this, uh, many Christians don't find it important to exercise their minds at all. Uh, they have this idea that following Jesus is just about a feeling that you get. I believe because I get the warm and fuzzies, right? That's a tragedy, really, because then we are no different than Mormons who appeal to a burning in their bosom to justify their beliefs. You know, I believe because there's a burning in my heart. Don't you feel it? Uh, but how do they know it wasn't the greasy pizza from last night? Maybe they're having heartburn. You see, Christianity is not a in the mental dark. We can't just close our minds and jump. Uh, but for many of us, uh, following Jesus is the opposite of reasoned judgment. That's not what God is calling us to do with our minds. God is calling us to reason. So God is calling us to exercise our minds, uh, even with the boundaries that he has set up, uh, that we might know how to reflect his generous self-revelation. Uh, he wants us to train them, to train our minds uh, to think his thoughts after him, even um, in the limited fashion that he has created them. We learned last time that God generously reveals himself in nature. The heavens are declaring his glory. Uh, the visible things are revealing the invisible things. Uh, so there's something to be said about growing in our understanding of created things. Uh, it's good to learn science how complex the human body is, how trees grow, how animals live, and so on. It's good to know all of those things because if nature reveals something of God, then knowing more of it trains our minds to know more of God. But we also learned last time that scripture provides a surplus of meaning for us. Uh, with the lens of scripture, there's more to nature than meets the eye. Uh, scripture is God's ultimate gift to train our minds. Uh, so it is incumbent upon us to train our minds in scripture uh, that we might learn to see everything else differently, uh, including ourselves and nature. Um, scripture is God's instruction. Uh, the Jews call it his Torah. Uh, by which we think God's thought after him. Uh, he uses the Bible uh, to increase our knowledge of him and his will for the world. Uh, you know, the Bible says there's a war for our minds. Uh, the enemy wants to devote our thinking against God. The more he can keep us from thinking about what God has to say, the better. In fact, if he can just have us question God's word, that might just be good enough for him. Uh, remember Eve and what the serpent said to her. Did God really say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Uh, he made Eve question the veracity, the truth has said. Then came the accusation. 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent says, God is withholding something good from you. That he knows you will be like him if you eat of this tree. You will have unlimited knowledge like him. That is, that is war. The serpent has waged war with our minds. And so we need to be um, glued to God's word. We need to fix our minds there because that's where the battle is. Will we believe or will we not believe what God says? Uh, Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 10, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Um, how will we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ if we aren't in his word, if we don't know his word, how will we do that? And so we need to train our minds in it. We need to spend more time uh, in the Bible so that we might be better equipped for the battle of our minds. But of course, we need the Holy Spirit in our learning. It doesn't matter how much we read and learn, but apart from the Spirit, we can't win the battle of our mind, for our minds. Uh, this is why Paul says in Romans 8 that we need to see, uh, we need to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Uh, when our minds are set on the Spirit, uh, the Spirit opens up God's Word to us that we might receive it and find life and peace in it. Uh, and then, Paul says, we are able to submit to God's instructions. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and pause uh, here. Uh, do you have any questions or reflections before we move on? Anybody? I just had a I just had a kind of a reflection on what you said about five or ten minutes ago, um, and that's like what we see and put in front of our eyes will often take up real estate in our minds before it enters the mind. You know what we see and that. Yeah, there's a strong connection there, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, if there is no other uh, thoughts, I will go ahead and mute everyone and then um, continue. <clears throat> uh, let me start this section with this idea. Uh, there's an internal and external element to knowledge, to knowing, uh, because Knowledge is not simply informational. 
but knowledge is also responsive. Uh, in other words, what we come to know is made complete by a response to it. Uh, because God is not interested in our ability to store information in our heads. Um, we're not computers that simply need to download more information. And so cognitive data is simply not enough. That's not true knowledge in the Bible. True knowledge in the Bible is always accompanied by a true response. A classic example of this is the knowledge of the demons. Um, uh, we'll get to this at some point in our series in James. Uh, but James says that demons even believe in God's oneness. They believe the same confession that Jews make on a daily basis. Three times a day they recite, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The demons believe on the cognitive level that God is one. Uh, what does James say are, uh, that demons are lacking? How come their confession and knowledge isn't valid, according to James? I'm going to go ahead and unmute everyone. They lack um, allegiance to God as you know, Trinitarian God. They have no allegiance to him. What does that mean, Sean? They have no allegiance to him. Um, Although they know that God is real, they choose not to serve him, not to, to obey him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They don't, they don't obey the king, right? Uh, they're treasonous. Uh, their will is not to do the will of the king, but the will of somebody else, the will of themselves or, or, the, or the devil. Okay. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and again. And so... James is rebuking anyone who simply knows information about God, but don't follow through in responsive obedience. Uh, James says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. That's sarcasm, right? You see, the demons lack deeds that correspond to God's oneness. Uh, they are not in submission to God's lordship and his kingship. They, uh, they know, but they don't truly know because their actions betray that knowledge that they have. Uh, this means our knowledge of God can't stay on the theoretical intellectual level uh, because knowing God is never abstract in the Bible. It always comes with a call to respond. Uh, true knowledge is not just informational then, it is also formational. It forms our actions and the way we talk to one another, the way we live our lives um, with our families, with our friends, with our church. Uh, that is true knowledge when we properly respond um, uh, to what we know about God and ourselves. In fact, all of life should be a response to God's self-revelation. 
so we had our first reading group a few weeks ago. Uh, we're reading through uh, Bonhoeffer's classic work on Christian community called Life Together. Uh, Bonhoeffer says something in the first chapter that has stuck with me for a long time. Uh, I admit I haven't read the whole book, but this quote, uh, this section I, I have read before in seminary and it really stuck out with me. And, and in fact, I've used it probably more than any other quote uh, in my sermons. Um, and maybe you're familiar with it. Bonhoeffer says this, but God has put his word into the mouth of men in order that it may be communicated to other men. When one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others. Uh, God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother, in the mouth of man. Uh, therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged, for by himself he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. Um, I find that very powerful and convicting because the reality is that we need each other in this Christian pilgrimage uh, because God is using our mouths to speak his word to our brothers and our sisters. He is encouraging us through the words of our brothers and our sisters. Uh, so then the way we talk to each other should be seasoned with Christ, with the knowledge of God in Christ. We should be sharing the words of Christ to one another and, and even to those outside of the family of God. Uh, but here's the thing. I think it's one thing to share our knowledge of him, uh, but it's another thing to share it well, right? Because there's a way to share our knowledge, our knowledge of Christ that can be harmful. Sometimes we use the truth as a weapon uh, because we want to win an argument or because we want to show off how much we know or even to try to embarrass other people. Uh, I know personally, I haven't always shared my knowledge of God very well, and I still don't, um, quite frankly. I fail in many ways and many times. Uh, you know, I still remember the day I made my sister cry. Uh, I was a fairly new Christian back then, and I was zealous to share what I knew about the gospel with my sister. Uh, I wanted her to embrace Jesus like I embraced Jesus. But the problem was the way I shared the gospel with her. I wanted my sister to know Jesus, but I also wanted her to know that I was smart, that I had it all together. Uh, boy, did I ever trample her with the truth because I wanted to win the argument. I wish I had read this from Paul back then and took it to heart. Uh, listen to this. Oh, actually, open your Bible now to 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 24. 
starting in verse 24. Second Timothy chapter two, beginning in verse 24. I, w- I wish I would have read this um, when, I was sh- uh, when, I, when I was young in the faith uh, in following Jesus and, and I was sharing my faith with my sister. Uh, Paul says there, and the Lord's servant, uh, speaking to Timothy, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring, correcting his, op- his opponents with gentleness. And so how do we speak the words of Christ well to others, according to Paul in that passage? I'm going to go ahead and unmute everyone. The first things he says is by being kind to everyone. Being kind to everyone. Absolutely. Good. What else? not resentful and gently teaching not resentful and gently teaching i'm sorry i didn't i didn't hear that humility is vitally important humility yeah that's good that's good okay i'm gonna go ahead and pause or mute everyone I'm just going to kind of walk through um, through these, right? Like he says, not quarrelsome. We shouldn't be quarrelsome. Um, the 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 servant of Christ, he's not should not be in love with arguing or disputes. Uh, he's not concerned about winning an argument. Uh, he's to be kind to everyone, not just people he, uh, that uh, he likes, uh, even the people that he finds annoying and aggravating. He's, uh, he ought to be kind too. Uh, he should be able to teach. Uh, Paul is talking to Timothy, who's a pastor. Uh, that's a requirement of, of a pastor to be able to teach. But the principle still stands, right? Uh, we should be able to, everyone should be able to share our knowledge of Christ. Um, you know, teach in, 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 the, in the lower level sense. Um, uh, patiently, he patiently endures evil. I'll admit that one is pretty hard. When evil is being uh, perpetrated against us, it's it's hard to um, it's hard to be patient. It's hard to speak the truth in gentleness and kindness with such people. Uh, and so, correcting with gentleness, uh, another hard one. Sometimes we just want to lay the hammer down. Uh, when we should really be walking hand in hand with them. Um, uh, what's Paul's basic drumbeat, right? Uh, basically, basically, Paul is saying that we need to reflect Christ in our character as we share our knowledge of him. We are to be a servant like him as we share him with each other and with unbelievers. So we serve others like Christ in order that we might know him, that they might know him who has revealed himself to us. In other words, uh, the message and the messenger should take the same form. 
They should be congruent. Uh, we're to share our knowledge of God like Christ has shared himself with us. Because Christ, you know, that's a description of everything Christ is like. He's not quarrelsome. He's kind to everyone. He's able to teach. He, he patiently endured evil. He corrected with gentleness. That's what it looks like uh, to be generous with the knowledge we have received from him, uh, is that we share that knowledge as Christ has shared it with us in the same form. And so Paul goes on to say in that passage, uh, 2 Timothy 2, uh, he says, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And that's the hope, is that when we are generous with our knowledge, with what we know about the Lord, that many might come to the knowledge of the truth, as we've come to the knowledge of the truth, that they might repent as we've repented. Um, so I'll end there. Do you guys have any final questions, uh, rebuttals, or comments? I'm going to go ahead and unmute everyone. When you mentioned not dropping the hammer on somebody, and sometimes it's better to walk alongside that person, uh, Romans 12.10 came to mind, outdoing one another in honor. Nice. Yeah, great connection. Brian, I think um, everything you said today, Paul illustrates this rather well in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 through 10. Um, we obviously know from what the word says and from history, the Corinthian church was very boastful about their knowledge. They, they prided themselves regarding their knowledge. And they obviously had some notion of what happened at the Jerusalem council with James and the others telling the Gentiles not to eat you know, think sacrifice to idols from uh, Moses. So Paul opens that section um, concerning food offered to idols. So they must have had some question about what was going on in Jerusalem and that uh, mandate. And Paul starts by saying, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So he's already contrasting uh, the Corinthian knowledge um, with what true knowledge is, which is rooted in love. Yeah. Then when he goes, he goes, continues to go through to build on that theme about the uh, meat or the blood sacrificed to idols, and he emphasizes the rights that he the other apostles have, um, and he even says, "Not that I make use of these rights." So he's, he's taking these rights he has as an apostle and he's bringing himself down in, a, in order to build those others up. And I like the way he ends, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. So in those three chapters, he illustrates everything you just said about 
knowledge that puffs up versus knowledge that is rooted in love in order to build up the church. Good. I think, I think we, um, yeah, like I said in the beginning, we, we can't separate the, the image of God, right? Like it's always, our knowledge should always be, um, you know, coupled with our, 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 our love and our, and our strength. Right. And all of those things go together. And, and um, I think that's a, that's a great example. Um, uh, Sean. Uh, any final comment? I, th I think we're just about there. I think it was um I think it was uh Charlie who mentioned this last time like we need to be vulnerable with one another right with with ourselves and and in sharing uh, ourselves with other people because that's the character of of Christ right he 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 lowered himself and 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 um and shared himself with with sinners and, and lowly people i think that's uh, that kind of sums up what what our knowledge together should look like uh, in community <laughs>